yes, Lord. Lord, make a way for your people. Lord, make a way. Lord, make a way for your people. Lord, make a way. Lord, make a way for your people. Lord, make a way. When you show your mighty love, Lord, make a way for your people. Lord, make a way. Lord, make a way for your people. Lord, make a way. Yes, Lord, touch your lives this day.
Sunday morning that we can once again come into your presence. Lord, though we are separated by many, many miles, some of us, we're glad that, Lord, there's no distance with you. There's no difference in time with you. There's no limit to your power and your authority, Lord. And so we commit our service today into your hands and help us, Lord, that these services that we are streaming on the internet, uh, Lord, would not just be a form of entertainment, 
but be a challenge to our lives. May everyone listening to these messages and joining us in these services, Lord, may you give them that desire and that determination to make changes according to your will. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you and to obey your word in every aspect of it, Father. Challenge our lives and give me uh, the preacher today utterance that I may say only what you want me to say and give your people understanding and enlightenment. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. <clears throat> We're glad that we are together today once again um, doing our best to study the Word of God. There are a few things I'd like to mention to you, and one is, uh, this morning, I got up early and I went on the internet, uh, when I say early, not extremely early, because I really got up early and then went back. I said, it's too early uh, to get up, but I went back uh, to bed, got up back about 5.30, and uh, between 5 and 5.30, uh, as a matter of fact, I got up at 5 o'clock and went on the internet. And on Facebook, I posted uh, something that I think would be interesting for every one of us to look at. And I have a copy of what I posted on Facebook in front of me. And it's to do with the history of pandemics. And it will give you a little insight into uh, what pandemics are all about. It's not doing a study of pandemics because there are different kinds of um, uh, infections and viruses that struck this world at different time. And so what I did, I found the highest element. As a matter of fact, I asked someone to check this out for me. And uh, here it says, in uh, the year, uh, let's see here, where are we going? In the year 1347 to 1351, during that period of time, there was the Black Death pandemic. It was a virus, uh, bubonic plague it was called, the other name for it. And it killed over 200 million people on the planet. Um, when it comes to the COVID-19, that's kid stuff. This one killed 200 million people. And then second to that was smallpox that came into existence in the year 1520. And that uh, smallpox killed 56 million individuals. Then coming close to our time in the year 1918 Spanish flu that killed over 40 to 50 million inhabitants. Then, as we get closer to our period of time, uh, no, farther back, the plague of Justinian. Justinian. Um, that took about 30 to 50 million. Then we come to a popular one in our time. I remember when this got started in 1981, AIDS. AIDS, by itself, took 25 to 35 million inhabitants on this planet. 
And so when we think about the coronavirus, which is really, where is it? It's really down the line here. Um, COVID-19, uh, just one, a little over less than 2 million uh, so far. Uh, it's um, really kid stuff in comparison to what transpired in the past. And if God is to draw man's attention by these plagues and, and pandemics and pestilences, then it would be worse than the first one, uh, where it will probably strike one-third of mankind uh, that's existing in the world. And uh, there was one that took one-third of the population of the earth. I can't remember which one it was, but one of these took one-third. And if you were a preacher in those days, you'll say, you see, one-third of mankind is gone. Well, we cannot really jump to conclusion, and we cannot be dogmatic about prophecies. But if you don't, if you have never really gone into Facebook, then open the Facebook account, because Brother Singh is on Facebook, and we have a lot of preachers on Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, you can control your, your appetite for dirt and filth and unfit information. Because as much as you can check something on Facebook that might give you uh, the facts, there is more on Facebook that will give you a lie and make a made-up story than there are facts. So authenticity is important. Who is the author? Where is this coming from? What source is it? And even from a good source, hey, this is a good source. The good source might have that information from a bad source. And so bottom line, you have to take everything that you search on Facebook with a grain of salt. Now, if I were you, and there's something I question about my Christian life, something that I'm involved with, that maybe you hear Brother Singh preach about something, then you can go on the internet and check out. I like to check. One of my hobbies is, apart from doing jigsaw at home, I, one of my hobbies, you see when I do jigsaw, like I've got a new jigsaw right now, and I'm doing it while I'm listening to the message that I preached last night. Uh, but the message does capture your attention. And so I do that, but one of the habits I have is to check the origin of things from the shape of the church to the cross that's sitting behind me uh, that's on the wall we bought it, the church with that cross. And I want to make sure that every little thing that we might call a small fox, it might be what is destroying the spiritual vine in your, in your godly lifestyle. And as we head towards the end of the age, uh, we have a saying, and I told this assembly some time ago, that the job of the church is to take, you see, before I make that statement, uh, it, is, it is easy for a virgin to become a prostitute. It is easy for a woman that's never contaminated to turn into a prostitute or a harlot. But to take a harlot and change the mentality of that harlot and make that harlot into a virgin, it takes not man's wisdom, not man's mechanics, not man's um, order, not man's uh, strength and ability. It takes the power of God to do that. And that is what the church is doing, taking a person that is contaminated 
with paganism and all kinds of ideologies of this world, and God is transforming you and eliminating that kind of junk out of your life. Now, as a preacher, whatever you do in my congregation does not surprise me. I've been pastoring for many years. I'm still to have someone surprise me. If someone comes to tell me that, you know, they have a problem with fornication in their life, literal fornication, I will say, well, I'll pray for you. A person says, I, I undress every woman I see on the television or on the street in my mind. I will pray for you. And if after two years you still have the problem, I'll fast and pray for you. But God has given me time to make changes in my life, and I must be patient enough to give you time for God to decontaminate you, detoxify you uh, from, the, from whatever you have in your spirit. Because the background we are coming from, there are things that might have been introduced to us by men with good intention that God does not approve. And it is important that you don't just swallow everything that someone put in your mouth. But you consider what is given to you. Don't be a hippopotamus, spiritually speaking, that you just open your mouth. I don't know why I'm saying hippopotamus, poor creature. Uh, to me, like he swallows everything. Just open your mouth and anything anybody puts in your mouth, you swallow it. Now, uh, Jesus one day did some things that I would never do. He put his foot out and a woman came that was a sinner that was forgiven of her sins and she cried on his feet, holding on to his foot, and washed her, his feet with her tears, and wiped it with her hair. I'll never do that. I'm not Jesus. Jesus had the power over sin. He did not contaminate his spirit. He was born sinless. He could do that. I was born with a depraved nature. So I'll run if a woman is running after me to hold my foot. I'm, I'm not saying running to her running away from her. And that is what Paul meant uh, when he said to Timothy, flee youthful lust. Last night I told you to flee lust in general. And so when we think about all of these things, I would like to tell you that you have the internet. Uh, you can use it profitably. Uh, Paul made a statement in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, like every other message I preach, um, this one here, uh, we'll see where we'll go with it. Uh, First Corinthians, Brother Chassam is showing me he's got something sitting in front of him, First Corinthians 7. And it is exactly where we are going. It's not even a part of what I've got written. I put some scriptures down, but it's not even a part of what we've got here. And Paul said in verse 29 of First Corinthians 7, he says, brethren, this I say, brethren, that time is short. This was 2,000 years ago. I would like to tell you that time is shorter than when Paul said this. Time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they have none. Now, this is another thing. You have a wife, be as though you have none. I'll hold my finger in that scripture for a minute here. Uh, and so it is important that we understand these things. Adam would not have sinned if God had left Adam uh, to live by himself. Uh, but God 
created a woman, a weaker vessel for Adam. And I'm a pastor, and Sister Chandri really wanted to be in church today, but I said, you know what, because we're only allowed 10, I don't want you to come. Stay home today. She says, Dad, I really want to go to church. I said, no, stay home today with Timothy, and uh, both of you can stream online. And Timothy, you know, to get a big television on, and so they can stream. And so, like, I'm there in the living room. And I hope they're all with their Bibles in their hand and are ready to follow me. But um, Sister Chandri, you know, a woman gives good advice. We have great women in the Bible. Uh, we have Esther, and we have Ruth, and we have other women of great uh, influence uh, in the Bible. And I would tell you, there's sometimes, one time I was getting into... You know, I felt I was in Canada and I need to make some money on the side. So I was getting into timeshares, a little business. It looked like lucrative. And Sister Chandri and Sister Indira came to me and they said, you're called to preach the gospel, not to get into business. I said, oh, I'll give the money to the church. The biggest mistake I ever made in my life in, 19, in 1987, it was, was trying to become a businessman. See, God called me from my mother's womb. There are things that I preach that comes extemporaneously because God had given me a dream some time ago that has given me direction. And that is why I'm preaching it because it's in my spirit. I felt like God spoke to me and gave me a dream. And when I'm making a trip, God will give me a dream. A lot of times dreams have led me to where I am today. A dream was what led me back into Guyana in 1977 when I thought they had applied for status for me in the United States. I had a dream before that that I'll be going back to Guyana, and I did go back. Dreams led me all the way. And Sister Chandri and Indira, Sister Indira told me not to get involved. I did not listen because, you know, I'm a guy. I don't listen. Sometimes a woman has good advice. And sometimes a woman can lead you to hell. Are you with me? They that have wives be as though they have none. It doesn't mean let your wife go work and provide for herself. No, it doesn't mean that. It means don't get carried away with the fickleness of your wives if your wife is fickle. Because a woman is a weaker vessel. Don't divorce the woman. And that's another thing because you may have a wife that does not toe the line to what you want. As I give you privilege to continue in your little rebellion until God completely save you, you need to let your family continue a little bit and ease up a little and don't be some a pig-headed leader in the house. Be like Christ and give people an opportunity to get saved because convince a man against his will and he'll be of the same opinion still. God, God warned Israel here in in Isaiah, the third chapter, I think it is. Isaiah, let me find that here uh, quickly. In Isaiah, the third chapter, uh, the third chapter of Isaiah, uh, the Lord, when he's, con Isaiah is telling Israel about all these terrible things that they need to worry about. Uh, he says, Jerusalem in verse 8, Jerusalem is in ruin and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. They show forth their countenance 
the, to, the show for it of their countenance, their appearance, their appearance doth witness against them. How they dressed and how they carried about themselves is a witness against them. They declare their sin of Sodom, the sin, their sin as Sodom, and hide, hide it not. In other words, uh, what would a man do to create an impression that his sin is the sin of Sodom? I'll tell you what he will do. Put a skirt on. A man put on lipstick and earrings. And I'm starting to question where are you going with that? Walk around with late arts, purple late arts. And you don't have to say a single thing. You don't have to hold a placard or anything like that and talk like, you know, uh, you know, you understand what I mean. You come and say, Pastor, I got to pray for you. Well, on the contrary, a woman can want to be a man. And I've, I've seen, you know, I'm here just preaching basically to our fellowship and our churches. If you happen to be following in line, you can listen and see what you can do with the message. But a woman that wants to be macho and gets up there and kick around and fire hand and act like a man needs to become more feminine. We'll go back to another scripture in a minute. But it says here in, in Isaiah, the third chapter, that their countenance was against them. It says in verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors. How come children are their oppressors? Well, Isaiah did not have the slightest clue what is to happen in our day. When we were growing up, my dad called the shots and my mom, they called the shots. Today in your house, the children call the shots and the parents run to their demands. Well, I got to run today and run here and run there. See, we were taught differently. When we were grown up, dad was the head of the house. Mom was there to give direction and discipline and to make sure that dad maintains his integrity as the head of the house. We were to follow the principles that, was laid, that were laid down in the house. Good days to live in. Today, the children get the parents running around. The children call the shot. They cry and the parents run. And so when the businessmen out there are catering for society, how to sell and make money, they do designs that the children would like. Because they know parents are being led by their children. I had... I've seen this church where kids go out, girls go out, and they learn how to dress whirly and come home, and mama take their example. What a sad day to live in. And the scripture says, children shall be their oppressors, and women shall rule over them. I pity the man that has lost his masculinity to that great extent that he would let women rule over him. At the same time, I pity the man that wants to be macho and use brute force to rule his wife. Husbands, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and give himself for it. A husband must represent Christ in the home in that he's not a dictator or a lord or some uh, brutal leader. 
No, he is gentle. He must understand the weaknesses of his wife and give her time to make decisions. But a man that loses that authority, you see, I read a book sometime, it's called Man of Steel and Velvet. And it shows you that you can be a strong leader, but not cold steel hands. Your, lead, your hand is there, and you know what God wants you to do, and nobody's going to move it. The children can't, the wife can't, the cousins can, the ungodly can't. But cover your hand with a velvet glove, so that when people hold it, they find it's soft and touchable, and they can deal with that. And yet at the same time, you maintain the principles of God. Well... If an ungodly man come and says, if you come, if you stay home today and miss church today, I'm going to come to church with you forever. What would you do, Brother Singh? I will miss church that day if I can get him to come to church forever. No one ever did that to me yet. But if someone does that, I'll miss church for one day if I can get that man to serve God forever. When I say miss church, I might still be in church mentally. I might still be in church on the internet. I might still communicate to you on the phone. And so I'll bargain with him for his soul. But here is the problem because we must come to the place that we must understand you have a wife, be as though you have none. Well, over in Kings, in the book of Kings, Solomon had a problem. The wisest king that ever walked on this earth had a problem. And here in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter of 1 Kings, uh, it says here in King Solomon, there was not a wiser than Solomon according to Scripture. But your wisdom is no match for the wisdom and subtlety and craftiness of the devil. The devil's responsibility is to undermine your faith. And he will not come into your home with a pitchfork in his hand dressed in red. He will undermine every possible way he can get into your home. And he starts with the preacher. And if the preacher goes blind, spiritually speaking, the congregation will go blind because blind leaders are leading blind congregations and they're both heading to the ditch. Are you following me? Well, here is the wisest king. First mistake, he had too many wives and too many concubines. And it says, Solomon loved many strange women. Now, you might not have a strange woman in your life, but you might have a woman that has never given up what God is saving her from. She might have things that belong to the past that she has brought into your home, and you're not man enough to take an authority without being a dictator, but you're not able to give the spiritual leadership that you're supposed to give. A pastor that is to lead a congregation must not be brutal, and yet at the same time, he must not be one that compromises with every evil that comes into that church. This is spiritually espoused to Jesus. Paul says, I fear as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, your minds, this woman, spiritually speaking, would be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ and develop a different and contrary spirit. And he goes on here, he says, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, 
women of Moabite, of the Moabites, and Ammonites, and Edomites, and Zidonites, and Hittites. You know, these were the people that God wanted destroyed and eliminated in the past. How come Solomon is taking wives of these nations? Well, I didn't really take the wives, you know, somebody gave me the wife. I've heard people say, well, I did not choose this door to be opened up, but a door was opened up and I just took the opportunity. Guess what? The devil will open up a door to hell. And if you like that kind of opportunity, you'll be caught in his snare. He's got a snare that is so subtly it will trap a man like Samson and have him. You see, these men in the Bible, the strongest man deceived by a woman. The wisest man deceived by a woman. So you that have wives be as though you have none. A pastor should not let his wife dictate for him. And my family knows that. Ever so often they come with good suggestions. Sister Chandri told me, give me a good suggestion this morning. And I will follow that suggestion. I won't tell you what it is. But she came this morning, she says, Dad, I don't like to tell you what to do, but I would like to tell you what to do. And um, as she told me something, and I thought about it, and I said, that's a good suggestion. I will follow it. Good suggestion. Good wisdom. If I listened to Chandri and Indira in 1987, I would not have made a mess of a lot of people that got involved with me. God did not call me to be a businessman. He called me to preach the gospel. That's me. And so Solomon went here. It says, And the nations concerning the Lord, verse 2, uh, which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. When you cleave, cleave unto someone in love more than you love God, it's dangerous. Love your wives, sure, but make sure you love God more. Don't let them sway your mind. Now, not only wives sway the mind, children sway the mind of strong fathers. And the worst, the easiest ones to, change, to turn your mind from following the Lord... Are your grandkids. Grandpa. Please. Grandpa. And grandpa. Forgets that he is. A preacher. And a minister of the gospel. And let grandpa. Sentiments. Undermine his faith. And the faith of those that follow him. Don't give advice. People might take it. Don't set the wrong example. <clears throat> People might follow that. If you want to have your little secret perversion, keep it to yourself. If you're a preacher, you've got to walk circumspectly, not as a fool, redeeming the time because the days we live in are evil. And here is what happened to Solomon. And Solomon, verse, verse um, tw 5, it says... Uh, his verse six, verse four, it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect unto the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. 
It says, and Solomon went after Ashtoreth, a wrong god, the goddess of the Zidonites, and after Milcom, the, abomin- the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did his father David. And then did Solomon build a high place uh, for Ch- Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, that is, in the hill uh, that is before Jerusalem, and Molech, the abomination of the Cherun of Ammon. Uh, before you know it, uh, this abomination that Solomon, the wisest king on earth, became the dumbest. You listen to me? The wisest king that lived on this earth became the dumbest when Satan was finished with him. And he's not, you think Satan walked through the door with red and a pitchfork? No, he used that which captures your heart to lead you into the ditch and contrary to God. See, I came onto this fellowship in 1975 and the most predominant messages I heard told me that I was coming out of Babylon. I'm still coming out of Babylon. I realized that I was not really out. That Babylon still occupied my mind and the world still occupied my mind. And I must slowly eliminate that from my mind by the help of God. Human mechanics, do, don't do this and don't do that, would not change you. God must change your heart. And that is why I need to give the people that are listening to me time. And you need to give the, give the people that you have influence over time to make changes. Don't let your heart be turned from following the Lord. And then it goes on here. It says, and likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. And it says here, where is it? It says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord. I really wanted a verse of scripture that said he built an altar into the house of God that... um, Unto the other gods. He built, came right on into the house of God and put an altar in the house of God, right in the temple, unto other gods. You see, it starts out on a little hill somewhere, it starts out in privacy somewhere, but before you, you know it, in verse 7 it is, and Solomon built a high place uh, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites in the hill, that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon, and likewise did he uh, burn uh, incense and sacrifice unto other gods. What verse I need? Verse? Eight. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. Uh, is there a special verse that says he did this in the temple? There was a verse that says he did, but whatever he did, he brought these things into the very house of God. There's a scripture, I'm sure I read it, that says he brought these altars uh, right into the house of God. It might be in Chronicles that it says he brought them right into the house of God, and God was angry with it. And I'm thinking that if we're not careful, the devil would allow us to bring, and not only in our homes contrary to God, it slowly uh, moves on over. 
And there's demonic influences to every idol we set up in our hearts, literally or spiritually. I remember while I was doing security, and this is important. While I was doing security, a man went to Egypt, a friend of mine, one of my guards went to Egypt, and he brought back a little, what do you call it, the little black dog that the Egyptians pray to. Ibus, Ibus, what do you call it? There's a little black uh, dog-like creature that the uh, Egyptians hold as a god. I think it's Ebus or something like that. But he brought this back and I looked at that and I said, you know what? This is just a little ornament. I'll take it, put it in my study at home. So I added to the many little things that people give me. And that night when I went to bed, I battled with demons all night. There was a war and I got up in the night and I wondered what it was. And my eyes turn and focus on that little Little idol. Oh, it's just a little doggy. No. It was demonically worshipped at one time. And if the devil can do that, what else can he bring into your house and into your lives that is not approved of God? It is important that you understand there are things that the devil wants you to set up. Literal things he wants you to set up in your life and in your home, and then he can bring that into the church. Before you know it, he got idolatry right in the heart of the church, and you don't even understand it. So my friends, <clears throat> pray with your wives, and don't let them lead you contrary. Well, but he's saying, Adam did what his wife wanted him to do. No, Adam entered into death with his wife. He was not deceived. He accommodated Eve... And I don't know the details. There's not enough written there to give me an, an edge over that. Some other time we will deal with that. But Adam, uh, because of what he did, we are in the kind of situation we are today. Sin entered. And that is why Jesus had to come. And I know sovereignty dictates all of that. But back here, uh, we're going back to uh, 1 Corinthians. Time is short. Verse 29 as uh, scripture says, Paul says, time is short. And they that it remaineth the day but that have wives be as though they have none. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. He says, don't let anything you do in society hinder your relationship with God. I went out and got a secular job, but it never hindered me in my relationship with God. Well, of course... And not every job is the same. Sometimes your job does demand that you do a weekend work ever so often. I can't help that. We need to work. And sometimes you need to accommodate something, not willingly, not be glad that they got you working, but sometimes you can't help it. Uh, situations do come up. But don't ever let it give you that reason not to. Miss church. Miss the fellowship. Miss the brethren. Don't ever lose that from your heart. Because backsliding is gradual. And our hearts are set to do evil. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. And so Paul said, whatever we do in this world, he says, they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world, pass it away. The fashion of this world 
the fashions will pass away, the electronics will pass away, the evil of this world will pass away. And Solomon, uh, uh, John said that in his, in his epistle uh, here in 1 John. Uh, he made a statement here in 1 John. He said in chapter 2, 1 John, he says, love not the world. In other words, Paul said in Corinthians, he says, they that use this world as not abusing it. Is that what verse, um, what verse is that in 1 Corinthians? He said, they that use this world as not abusing it. Uh, he says in that saying, verse 31, they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. The margin, if you have an Oxford Bible, there's a little bit of a note in the margin here, and it says that it should have been translated, uh, not using it to the full. In other words, I can use this world, uh, but don't let it get you over carried away with it. And so, we have Brother Emmanuel sitting in church here today. And I told him last night, I said, last year, I said, you know, Brother Emmanuel, I don't believe in Christmas. I really don't. But I utilize this period of time to help some poor people. And I preached a message some time ago uh, saying, I wish every day was Christmas. So when Brother Goodwin, when Brother Singh preached that message, if every day was Christmas, it don't mean you go overboard and get Santa Claus living in your house. No. The paganism was eliminated. The charity and love people show, I wish that was every day. That people love each other and show kindness every day. And so I told Brother Emmanuel, I said last year we sent $300 to uh, Pakistan to get them a nice Christmas dinner, right? Uh, Brother Emmanuel, and I said that, and uh, you, you know, I, without knowing it, individuals, I've got one offering uh, for $50 turn in, another offering for $40 turn in, another offering for $20 turn in, uh, without me making an announcement. So this year, we like to send $300 again to Pakistan uh, for them to have dinner. Here's the pastor for that church that barely has enough money to survive with his family. And if we can make a little sacrifice to help him out, to send some, uh, give some folks there, I don't know how they'll do it with pandemic uh, going on all around the world, but they'll have a way, they have a way to do things in these countries. And so we like to send that. I told him I'd like to send uh, $300. So today I put uh, $50 in. And together with Sister Annie, I sent $50 and a few other individuals. I think Brother, Brother Bob said he would be sending $20 or something like that to help. You know, and here we are. Brother Jason sent $40 and said, whatever charity you're getting involved with, send, send that in. And so I appreciate all the offerings coming in. And if we can come up with $300 and send it in, we will be using this world but not using it to the full. We're not going to send toys looking like Santa Claus to Pakistan. We want to send stuff to get them some food so they can meet together and remember that. If I had enough money and I had enough resources, we'll send some money to Haiti. If I had enough resources, we'll send some money to Guyana. We'll send some money to all the little poor churches around the world. 
But there is only so much a poor man can do. But you know what God has blessed me with? He has blessed me with a heart of charity. And I can use this world, but don't let the world utilize, use me. You understand? We are to use the world, but not use it to the full. Don't go overboard. Leave the paganism outside the door and use the opportunity of an, as, a, as a holiday to get your family together. This pandemic would make some people commit suicide. But it can bring you and your family closer together. And you can pray more often in your, with your family. You can get everybody together and have a family devotion more often because everybody's around. Use it as an opportunity to draw closer to God. Use it as an opportunity to help some children in the church. Think about it. What can I give a child? Ask the parents. The parents would tell you the needs. And I told my family, now is not time to spend money on non-essentials. Now is not time. Now it's time to save your money for the future and see how we can help the work of God. And so here in 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. As you love the world and you enjoy what the ungodly is doing and you slowly resurrect that old prostitute mentality. Sorry, I used the wrong word. That old mentality you got from the woman of Revelation 17 that sat there and you never got it sanctified that far to get away from that. Go back in and see if how you can not resurrect that. You can kill it. See, if somebody says, let sleeping dogs lie. Now, a sleeping dog in your life is going to come to wake up one day and attack you. Be careful that that which you hold and you cherish is not a viper. I don't know why someone would have a snake as a pet. I don't even want to figure it out. I don't know why someone will want to have a heinous creature that can kill you as a pet. Why you want a tarantula as a pet? I won't even tell you you're sick. Why would you want something dangerous? Because that thing, as long as it's got venom, one day it will turn around and bite you. Get rid of your venomous pets, spiritually speaking. See, when I stall for words, it's not I'm out of words. It's just I'm out of nice words. And so get rid of your venomous little attitude. Get rid of everything that belongs to where you're supposed to be coming from and move ahead. And somebody says, well, you know, our leaders of the past... Taught us how to do this. Well, if your leaders of the past was leading you contrary to what God wants, then stop following the leaders of the past. I've got leaders of the past that taught me some good things, and I follow the good things, and I look in their lives, and if they've got perverted things, I don't take that. Take that which is good and follow it. Paul said concerning Timothy, he says, Timothy, he says, be followers of me, as I follow Christ for this cause. I got my finger in 1 John chapter 2. I got five minutes left. 
Uh, but first, John chapter 2, and I'm turning to Timothy here. And this has been a good day in the house of God. And so may God help us to eliminate idols from our lives. And Paul said here in 1 Timothy, no, it's 1 Corinthians I want, sorry, not 1 Timothy. Uh, see, there we go, 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he did not succeed in getting these people to all follow him. The church of Corinth wanted him exiled from their midst. They wanted Paul to be eliminated as a teacher in their church. Because Paul was disappointed when he saw these people that came out of paganism slowly drifting back into a religious paganism. They came out from uh, ungodly Greek paganism and they were going into the Jewish traditional traditions and formalities that belong to the Jews that Christ died to save the Jews from. We got a subtle enemy and he can come up. You like to listen to songs. He will come up with songs that has misunderstandings and false doctrines concerning God. Let your life be built on the word of God. And your foundation that your, your heart is in, planted on God. And as time goes by, you would hope that God eliminate the paganism and the ungodliness and the sin and the lust and the worldliness out of our lives. That's why I'm praying for that I will make it to the end. I can't say I'm now ready to be offered, but my God, I'm not where I used to be. There are things. In my early days, I wish God would never ask me to give up. And there are things still that I hope that he would not bring me into that submission. But I know there are things that I have that I must eliminate. And there are things you might have that you have to give up. And Paul said concerning Timothy, he says, verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be followers of me. Strong, right? Isn't that strong? He says, and because of this, for this cause... I'm sending you, Paul can't go himself, but he's sending Timotheus, who is my faith, beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who will bring you into remembrance of my ways that I have in a steak restaurant. Now, Timothy will bring you into the, the weaknesses Paul had for fancy dressing. See, Brother Goodwin was my leader, and he was a great man, and I admired him. He taught me 80% of all my doctrine, and I still see him as the greatest man that embraced my life. But he had a humanity like every human being has. I would not use his humanity to cause me to stumble. I remember the first day somebody told me about Brother Goodwin. They said, you know what? He drives a Lincoln Continental and he wears a Rolex. Now I'm coming from Guyana. I don't know what was a Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. What's a Lincoln? Continental was a biscuit factory in Guyana. What is that? I don't know. And what's a Rolex? Oh, that's a watch. I told the brother, I said, I wear a Timex. He said, well, I got a Rolex. You see, he went and copied Brother Goodwin's Rolex. 
I had a Timex, a second yours make an alarm in the night. He says, no, but it's a Rolex. I said, mine is a Timex and it can wake me up with an alarm. Can yours light up in the night? He says, no, I said, mine does. For $20, mine does more than yours do. But the name brand, you see, the name brand. No. They that use this world, don't use it to the full. So some people follow Brother Goodwin's attire. Some people follow his nice little elite habits, which God gave him to do that. And some follow his godly lifestyle and his doctrines and counsel. And Paul says, don't follow all my ways, but follow my ways which be in Christ. He says, Timothy will bring you in remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Back in John, and we finish here, uh, John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, love not this world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh of all sorts, the lust of the eyes of all sorts. And this is here, this scripture here is a message that will last an hour just by itself. And the pride of life is not of the Father. The simplicity of Christ is of the Father. The humility of Christ is of the Father. The, the meekness of Christ is of the Father. The godliness of Christ is of the Father. The holiness of Christ is of the Father. Not all of these elements. So you want to be a disciple, be a disciple of Jesus first and follow everyone that has Christ as an example. So we close with this. And Paul says here, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Let's read together. The world, and that's with all the fashions and all the entertainment and all that, whatever goes on. Whatever is going on in society, the world and all that it has will pass away. Sister Chandri's sister passed away. My grandpa passed away. My great-grandfather passed away. My father-in-law passed away. My mother passed away. My dad passed away. And this world will pass away. But he or she that do it, that do it, that do it, the will of God, abide it forever. It pays to do the will of God. He that doeth the will of God, abide it forever. Let's pray. Father, again we thank you for another day in your house. We thank you for this time spent, O oh Lord, that we can be challenged with the godliness and the holiness that exists in your word, Father. Lord, we have things in our lives that is, that's all roots of bitterness. We have golden calves and we have brazen serpents and we have Bethels that are sitting in our lives that tend to hold on to us more than discipleship is demanding from us. Lord, help us not to hold on to the little idols of life. To little non-essentials. Help us to set a godly example, not only to our family, 
but to the people that we minister to, to the ones that I minister to, Father, to every child of God that wants to serve you. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that this lesson would not be just a form of entertainment, but Lord, challenge a change in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.